Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine, and today is no exception. I am delighted to have Dr. Corey Schuler back again. Um, he's spoken to us previously on uh, the Elemental Diet. Integrative Therapeutics has a wonderful product we're using in our practice all of the time uh, for various indications, and we'll absolutely in the show notes link to Dr. Schuler's original presentation so you could start there and then this is further down the road of the elemental diet but before we jump in with Dr. Schuler let me just give you his background he's got a lot of initials after his name he's a smart guy uh, you'll uh, you'll see that as soon as we start talking incidentally the show notes from the first conversation he and I had are laden with references. He sent me over a whole host of references for the why behind the elemental diet and the various indications and what the research suggests, et cetera, et cetera. So be sure to access those. Uh, Dr. Schuler serves as the Director of Clinical Affairs for Integrative Therapeutics and is Adjunct Assistant Professor at the School of Health Sciences and Education at New York Chiropractic College. He practices integrative and functional medicine in the greater Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota area. He's a member of the Institute for Functional Medicine and the American College of Nutrition. Corey is a certified nutrition specialist, a registered nurse, a licensed nutritionist, and earned a Master of Science degree in Human Nutrition and a degree in Chiropractic Medicine. Are you done yet, Dr. Schuler, or are you still in school? Do I have to answer that, or can I plead the fifth? <laughs> okay, that's enough. That says yeah. it all. He's a fellow of the American Association of Integrative Medicine as well. You can reach him at his website, metabolictreatmentcenter.com, or you can find him on Facebook. All of this information and any literature he talks about today will be in these show notes. Welcome to New Frontiers, Corey. Thanks for having me, Kara. This is always fun. Yes, it is. It's always great to connect with you. Corey and I go back quite a ways, and um, he's one of the brainiacs in our field who I so, so, so appreciate because he does his due diligence and drilling down into the science behind anything he's talking about. And he's a funny guy, as we were talking about. No pressure, though, on being funny during this great. conversation. <laughs> I'm going to jump jump the shark here on this <laughs> podcast right here. So. Right, right, right. You can come up with a joke and we'll add it in the show notes later. Okay. Um, so further down the elemental diet road, you've had loads and loads of questions since you launched the product. When did IT launch the elemental formula? It was uh, June of 2016. So not, uh, yeah, more than a year, but not two yet. It's amazing. God, it's amazing. And I know that it's been wildly successful, correct? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been one of the fastest growing products that uh, Integrative has ever launched. Um, people gravitated towards it, wanted to use it, and found uh, not just uh, the evidence-based approaches, but unique and interesting ways to use this product as well. So, yep, um, absolutely. That's probably yep. part of its growth. I know. Well, we, as you, and you and I covered the standard indications for use on our original podcast and then some of the off the quote off label indications we chatted about as well. We're using it in allergic disease. Actually, there is some research out there on eosinophilic esophagitis. I think you were the one who brought that up. Um, but 
anyway, go go back there. So the folks who, if you haven't heard my first conversation with Corey, but we're going to talk this time about some of the questions. There's loads and loads of questions. There is a bit of a learning curve to introducing the elemental diet into practice. Uh, and so I'm going to just jump right in and just ping you, Corey, with some of the bigger questions folks have. Um, and then anything you want to add, questions that you've encountered as you, as you, you know, consult on the product or as you're lecturing, just please, by all means, jump in. So kids, can we prescribe the elemental diet for children? Uh, sure. Yeah, that's a, a great place to start. I, the uh, And I'll let me back up just a little bit to explain kind of where I'm coming from. I don't make up my data, right? So, and, and you know that, but not everybody probably listening uh, knows that this isn't all my experience. Part of what I do for my job is and I guess the best way to describe part of my job is to be like a medical science liaison mm -hmm. to clinicians. So when you have a question or somebody on your team has a question and maybe they don't find the answers in the literature or they kind of want to know uh, a nuance of something like that sort of ends up being my job. And so I've been very fortunate, to be honest, and very grateful for the opportunity to be able to meet the thought leaders in our profession, um, whatever profession we're calling it right now. Um, but the people, the people like us, the people that have been doing this work for a long time and who are new and rising, um, I get to chat with them all the time and ask them what they're doing, what they like, what they don't like. And uh, I just was in Portland, and uh, which is, there's a lot of naturopathic medicine um, going on there. And so well, and it's really, it's kind of invented itself with um, Sandberg Lewis and Allison Seibecker as sort of the hub of C of current SIBO. Right, right. And so, yeah, so it, it there's a lot of outgrowth there. And so I sat down with a group of, I think it was 16 or 18 of us, and we just sat around, we had dinner, and we just like gunned questions at each other. I mean, some wow. of them were gunned at me, which is fine, but um, some of them were just uh, in general, like, how are we using it? What do we like? What do we not like? And it was great. So some of this that I'm sharing today comes from that. Um, some of it comes from my new product development experience with Integrative, and some of it is my own experience with my own patients. So I just wanted to perfect. kind of clear the air about where stuff is coming from. Oh, that's just perfect. I just, that, yay, we're hearing it first here or sort of first second first we're the yeah, we're, most, the, we're the firsts of the second people i would say the mostly them. first information can we just call <laughs> mostly first <laughs> Woohoo! um listen before we jump in i know i just asked you about kids using the formulation and then you gave me the backstory but just for people who are not familiar with the elemental diet the elemental formula just give me like a, a thumbnail sketch of what it is and then we'll jump into the questions yeah so elemental diet is a powder that's reconstituted in water and consumed over um, as either sole nutrition like that's the exclusive nutrition that somebody gets it's an oral formula versus um, a tube fed formula which a lot of enteral formulas are suggested for use because it tastes good it's hypoallergenic and uh, seems to be well tolerated in that regard. And so that's what it is. Elemental diet just generically is elements of macronutrients are broken down into their tiniest components. So instead of m massive fats, there's fatty acids. Instead of, um, uh, instead of proteins, this is the most important part. It's not even peptides or polypeptides. It's broken all the way down to free form amino acids. And then carbohydrates, we have exclusively um, small uh, and easily absorbable carbohydrate 
forms in there. So that's the thumbnail of it. Those are the macros, plus you've got the micros, the vitamins and minerals. Correct. You have everything that you would need to sustain oneself um, without adding other things. And everything's it's space, it's all broken down. So there's so passive digestion. You don't need to um it's it's easily digested and extremely hypoallergenic. Yes. And the primary would... the primary indications for it. So the primary indications for it are, um, and you kind of alluded to it already, is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. That's actually where it was born from. We said we were using this uh, elemental diet, in, um, but we just needed a better version of it. And so Integrative Therapeutics sort of said, well, we'll take on that project and let's make a, a best version of it. Um, but also, elemental diet's been studied you know, for the last 20, 30 years in things like Crohn's disease, um, uh, eosinophilic esophagitis, you mentioned, um, and a few other of these moderate to severe gastrointestinal impairment type of conditions. I just want to say that when you say best version of it, it's because you're using really top quality um, materials. And I, 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 and I want to underscore that you're not using, you know, oxidized folic acid, you're using natural folates, you're you know, I think, I think you've just turned the quality bar. You've raised the quality bar, you know, high with your product and it, that's appreciated by me and my team for sure. And I appreciate your, your comment on it because every ingredient, everything that went into it was looked at 10 different ways to say, is this the right thing? Are we doing the right things for the, the patient who's going to be consuming this? Um, are we making any errors? And, uh, and in some ways, we had to sort of create our own supply chain for it because we didn't have what we needed already in the market. So it's, to be honest, it would be super easy for somebody to throw together a terrible elemental diet. You can buy some of these materials uh, in a, a dirtier form, if you will, yes. uh, and just throw it together and hope for the best. Uh, but that's not, that's not the approach that was taken at all. Right. No, it's, it's apparent from... from um you know, the, just looking at the label, that it's just beautiful. It's just a really high quality, um, high quality product. And so we just, we, I just threw the first question out there. A lot of, oh, wait, before I jump into the, let's just wait again. Let's hold it. Hurry up, wait, hurry up, wait. <laughs> um, the duration one can stay on an elemental diet. Duration. Sure. Um, there's, uh, so the longest studies uh, were on average um, about 12 months on a partial elemental diet or what's referred to as a half elemental diet. So that was in Crohn's disease where people would be on a partial elemental diet and partial foods that they tolerated. Um, and on average, it was 11.9 months. Okay. But for exclusive nutrition, um, I think the, the, majority of the, the majority of the studies are two weeks. So 14 days, um, there's a few places in the literature that elemental diet shows up as three weeks, four weeks, and 12 weeks. And so we know it's well tolerated into that 12 week mark, um, at least from a pure physiologic perspective. You can imagine, right? It's, it's a liquid diet. It's a, um, this is very isolating, socially isolating potentially. Mm -hmm. So there's other consequences that come along with an all liquid diet uh, when you're in an ambulatory state. If you're not in a hospital, but you're trying to eat all your meals through a, a straw or through a, 
you know, a blender container. Um, there's other challenges, but from a physiologic perspective, that seems to be good because all the nutrients are there and none in excess. Yep. Okay, perfect. All right, now let's talk about kids. Can, okay. they, can they use the formulation? Yeah, so the reason that this question comes up and I get asked it, oh, I, you know what, I bet I get asked it 10 times a week. Um, so I'll just answer it wow. here so that it's mostly first. Yes, mostly first. We're mostly first. I'm going to put um, Is that because there's a big label that says on the physician's elemental diet, do not use in children. And so that not only does that scare our clinician colleagues off, but it scares off the parents of said children. And that makes sense. And that warning is real uh, because since elemental diet is used as sole nutrition or exclusive nutrition, this formula was not designed for the developmental needs of children. Like it just was not, that wasn't in mind at all when it was created. There's other formulas that are designed for that. This one is not. And so the concern and the reason that that warning label really exists is because we do not want that used exclusively. Now, if we have a practitioner who's well-versed in pediatric needs, um, can take into you know, account the history and the, the growth trajectory of a child and wants to use it as a partial element diet, um, I think that that's their choice and their decision. Um, they still have to jump through our, jump over our big label that says do not use. But if they're willing to do that, I think that there's some rational uses of it. But anyway, that's the, the longer story of why it says that on the label. Perfect. Okay. So then you're talking to tons of clinicians in your role of director of clinical affairs over at IT and doing consultations and so forth. So they are, I'm, it, people are doing it. I'm, I'm absolutely sure that there are some clinicians out there prescribing very short term for kids. Um, you know, I think I, it, it makes sense to me that in the short term, it would be okay. I could see using it in my practice, maybe for just a couple of days or a handful of, you know, just certainly not, you know, not long term, but just to clean things up and maybe, you know, just acutely quench inflammation. Where it's, I'm, I'm going to assume that some of the indications being used to off-label for peds include the usual. Yeah, um, I mean, this is a, a just a time for bowel rest, right? And so um, more appropriately, probably, and I've, I've chatted with some, especially naturopathic doctors um, who are working a lot with kids and, and families, young families that say, um, you know what, let's just, let's skip a meal or two and use it in place of that so that they're using foods that they already tolerate. But some of these children who are Let's talk about, you know, they have uh, FPIs or um, these allergenic conditions where they're eating less and less tolerable foods. They're just not, they're running into these problems. Um, they just need to supplement because their their child is either not growing or not yes. gaining the weight or whatever. Um, and so let's just replace one or two meals and see if we can do that. And then let's make sure that they're getting the other nutrients they need from, from foods, which is obviously best. Yep. Got it. So, okay. Good. I think that, that that's that's intelligent to use it as a partial. So can you use this in a nasogastric tube? Yeah, this is a, a great question. It actually kind of fits sort of the same answer as I just said. It's about design. Okay. So when you're talking about, and I'm like, as a, as a nurse, like I'm a, a, I'm an aspen nurse. I do parenteral and enteral nutrition. I love sticking food in people through tubes. And so... <laughs> 
Um, the one thing that I uh, like about this is that um, it probably could be, but in order to sort of qualify for that, we really have to do almost like physics studies. Like how well, like how is this soluble? How does it break down? How does it flow? What's the viscosity of it? And uh, as a brand new product to the market, those studies haven't been done. And if we find that maybe it's not right and not good for depending on the bore of the tube or, you know, how wide that tube is, um, then you have to change things a little bit. So that goes into a whole nother like level of detail that integrative has not done yet, primarily because most of our customers are naturopathic doctors, integrative medical physicians who are working in ambulatory medicine and they're not using it in, in nasogastric or nasojejunal type situations. So that wasn't a priority for us, but we're getting so many questions on it. Like it seems like we maybe should know those answers, but it's just too early in its maturity as a product to, um, to do all that when it really isn't designed for that. Now right. I, I'm going to answer the real question behind the question. And that is if you're, if you do this kind of work, and you know how to modify things. Um, I don't see a reason why you couldn't do it, um, but it's just not our, we can't support it or encourage it. Yep. Okay, perfect. So how are you recommending or how are clinicians using the various antimicrobial protocols um, that they're enacting? Um, mm -hmm. during, you know, during their time on an, during one's time on an elemental. So I, I actually have a handful of questions I'm going to throw out. Um, yeah. Are you, are, can we continue to use antibiotics? Can we use, you know, our botanical formulations? So if we're treating SIBO, can we continue with the, the um, antimicrobial protocol with SIBO, for instance? Or if you also have your patient on a host of, of, of additional nutrients, you've identified a vitamin D deficiency or, you know, magnesium or whatever, and you want to continue with the various supplemental interventions, can you do that? I mean, just talk about those two, and then I'll ping you with some more questions along that line. Yeah, I think that this question is probably the best way to get uh, integrative medical people into a fist fight. Um, <laughs> this is nuts, um, because it's based entirely off theory there's not we our research not just like integrated research like research in general you're talking about you know layering of um interventions and that's a very sophisticated thing to do to know what's better you have to know in that individual and do kind of crossover trials but then you know are they partially healed or not and so this is extremely complicated and not an easy answer but i will tell you theories so here's the theories and then i'll tell you what I actually hear about what's going on. There's yep. one theory, and uh, I'll, I'll name I'll name her by name. Mona Morstein is a yep. She's a, a big deal for us, right? She's a very important naturopathic physician, um, especially in terms of diabetes and now SIBO. She talks about this a lot, and she finds that in recalcitrant cases of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, again, this is her gut clinician feel, which we have to go by sometimes that if it's bad, we'll have to use both at the same time, elemental diet and antibiotics. And we're not talking antimicrobials. I think she's using standard uh, antibiotics like rifaximin and, and neomycin together. Um, I don't, and I don't want to speak for her, but I know that she's, uh, she's going after and saying that starving and, and killing at the same time is probably not a bad idea. So that's 
her opinion. Um, she feels like that gets good results in recalcitrant or difficult cases of SIBO. Um, we have others that say, you know what, if you're not, if you're starving the bugs already, if you're starving, starving the microbes that are in the small intestine in high amounts and really shouldn't be there, and you're not feeding them because you're giving them elemental, giving the person elemental diet, then what you are effectively doing is you're putting the bugs in a hypometabolic or a resting state. And during that resting state, they're not as likely or don't do it as well, uptake the active constituents or the antibiotics or the antimicrobial or whatever. Um, and so that sort of just is a big waste. Mm-hmm. So that's the other theory that has uh, been proposed. Um, now, the reality is that there's probably truth somewhere in the middle um, and that we can probably do both. In reality, what we're doing in our office is we are, people are kind of transitioning from an antimicrobial um, product, a natural combination product, and then they're starting on a partial elemental diet. So it's not completely starved. They're still eating antimicrobials. When they do move on to a full and exclusive elemental diet, they'll they'll discontinue the um, antimicrobial. However, if their symptoms aren't reducing after three, four, five days, because you should start seeing some reduction in symptomatology as early as uh, that three to five day mark, mm-hmm. then we'll reintroduce them. So it gets really fuzzy and blurry, but I think that's really where the truth lies, somewhere in the middle. Right. I got it. So... Um... Okay, so she's using pharmaceutical interventions concurrent with the elemental, and that's where she's getting good outcome in very recalcitrant cases. And I know Dr. Morstein, and she's just, you know, she's a smart cookie. Undoubtedly, she's, you know, just paying close attention to what she's seeing. You guys are using botanical antimicrobials. You're keeping them, you start them there, and then you move them over to the elemental slowly. So you have elemental meal replacement and then you move them on to a full elemental and then you stop the botanical antimicrobials during that portion correct unless symptoms warrant then you reintroduce did i hear you right yep you you nailed it okay and you asked uh, further questions and there's more there's more to go there's more strings to pull on in that question um and the one is um what about other things like what if you you have somebody who's got a vitamin d level of eight um and they're going into elemental diet what I recommend, and this is a more of a principle, is if somebody needs a medication or a nutrient, they're going to need it regardless if they're on elemental diet or not. They should remain on that thing. Same with if they're on an antidepressant or if they're on you know, a psychotropic medication or um, whatever it is. I had a client here uh, maybe two weeks ago that was on um, omega-3 fatty acids, and she was taking four grams a day, and she couldn't... Um, Every time she went lower than that, her her mood was affected pretty dramatically. And so we just said, stay on that dose. Stay on that dose. We'll account for it in calories when we figure out the dosing procedure for elemental diet, but just stay on that. That seems like a necessary thing for you. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay, so it's pretty logical. But how about tolerating? Now, if you're using some sort of an essential oil combination, oil of oregano, or, you know, really even some of the combination botanicals or medication, you know, these can be really irritating. Four grams of fish oil isn't going to be tolerated by everybody. So when when you're on an elemental diet, you don't have any substance to really blunt the absorption 
or the tolerance of these of these interventions. What do you say about that? That's entirely true. And you will see major changes in what people do and do not tolerate during this time. Um, Gary Weiner, who's a, another naturopathic doctor, uh, happens to be in Portland as well, um, it describes it best as sort of saying you become sort of the, the best S or that of the most essence of yourself. <laughs> and I think I probably misquoted that a little bit, but essentially that's what you have uh, these, if you're an irritable person, you might get more irritable. Um, and so that goes not just for the physiologic, but it goes for more the psychologic as well, that um, if you have maybe a little bit of intolerance to uh, your medication, like, oh yeah, I have, I have sort of a bad gut ache after I take my medication or, or that, um, that nutrient, it may be a little bit worse because of, yeah, there's just that bolus of food. It's all liquid. So it's just going right in. Okay. And it's just a case by case basis and we'll do the best we can and maybe, yeah. you know, change the dosing structure, et cetera. Yeah. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Now, one of the things I've observed in my practice is that uh, the subset of individuals who never seem to get symptomatic relief, because uh, symptomatic relief in my experience actually happens pretty quickly once you jump onto the elemental diet. I know you had said, I think three to five days was your, and I, 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 I would say that I've you know, seen it. I've, I sometimes I'll, it, I negotiate with my patients what they'll be, you know, impeccably adherent with. Some folks will give me two days on it and I'll take that. And we, gen, and we generally see a favorable trend when I start the elemental diet with them. Might not be full recovery, but we can tell we're dialed in, we're in the right direction. Um, but sometimes that's not the case. You know, even when we have a good uh, you know, week-long trial. Symptoms never abate. And I've used that as a suggestion of fungal overgrowth or CFO. <laughs> what do you think about that? What do you think about fungal overgrowth with the elemental diet? I mean, we know there are some simple carbs in it. So if somebody's got um, candida as, as, as f fueling the flame of SIBO symptomatology. Um, is the elemental diet going to worsen that? I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts? What are you hearing on the street? Yeah. So, so on the street logo and or lingo and on the, uh, on, in our own practice, we use antifungal with absolutely everybody on elemental diet. Like we just use it. Um, the reason we don't wait the, the week to see if somebody's getting better. Um, we just, it's really difficult to distinguish between small intestinal fungal overgrowth and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And so as far as testing and even that's, it's just not great testing for that. So if we know that there's SIBO right. and we're treating it with elemental diet, we're probably just going ahead and, and treating as if um, we're, we tend to use uh, natural products for that natural don't combinations. Don't uh, even, don't even give me that vague answer. Just like me. I mean that just tell me what you're doing. What product are you using <laughs> or what products are you using? Yeah. Uh, uh, it's best to say I use integrative therapeutics um, products that are designed for that. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. No, no, you can't tell me which ones that you, 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 you favor. I can't right now. Sorry. Okay. Okay. But um, I will tell you that there's two that I go to and one um, acts essentially uh, or is kind of, feels similar to um, 
like a nystatin type of medication. Um, that's sort of the, how I use it. Nystatin is a well-known kind of easily predictable um, antifungal medication. And then a more robust antifungal medication might be something like Diflucan. And there is a more powerful version um, for a, a natural product in Integrative's lineup that sort of matches um, those sorts of things better. Got it. Got it. And it's about, the bottle is about what, four inches tall and it's white. (laughs) (laughs) You got me in a box here. What am I going to do? Okay. So, so, so you're, you're starting people on, um, on a protocol for an uh, anti, antifungals out the gate as soon as you initiate the elemental diet, correct? Yeah. The, and the reality yeah. was if we, if we turn back the, the clock and jump in our DeLorean or whatever, if we look at uh, the 2004 study with, uh, with Pimentel's group, um, they, you know, they did it for two weeks and if they didn't see results, they did it for a third week. So those people were, some of those people were symptomatic um, for the full two weeks. And so they're not as comp that research study wasn't as complicated as your clinical practice. Right. So maybe those people had fungal overgrowths, but they still sort of had to do elemental diet for yet another week. Um, I think it's just good practice, uh, good, good medicine to uh, address antifungal or fungal colony counts and reduce those to a better balance uh, while doing elemental diet. Okay. Sounds good. Um, let me say, do, do you want to hear, do you want to hear a better fist fight story? Um, that <laughs> the, the better fist fight story, it has to do more about, um, and again, we're talking about SIBO uh, primarily here. It's not necessarily the only way to do it, but the question about when do you reintroduce probiotics? I mean, mm. you have every, every answer and every spectrum mm. of this. Uh, so for the, if, for the non-clinicians who are listening to this, I would say, listen to your doctor. Um, and, but your doctor might be wrong, um, because (laughs) this is really a negotiation between you, your clinician and, and your, your GI and the rest of, you know, not, not your gastroenterologist, your actual gastrointestinal system. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. So do what, do what works for you is the right answer. Um, but people get kind of freaked out. People get really anxious about, well, I heard you're not supposed to use probiotics during elemental diet, but my uh, doctor gave it to me, so I don't know what to do. And they're they're reading and listening and asking, you know, basically unqualified individuals who have had some experience, but maybe not enough to help make that call. Uh, what I'm asking for, like globally here, is people to kind of relax and uh, know that this is a process, and there's not an exact science about when to introduce or not introduce or discontinue probiotics, and if so, which type etc. So that's a long, long answer, but it's a tangent that I think is is designed to help people ease their minds. Um, Yep. No, I get it. I think that that's really has been the theme so far of this conversation where, you know, careful clinical observation and, you know, safe hypothesis forming and, you know, trialing is, is where it's at. So some people are going to tolerate a probiotic and it's extremely helpful as far as establishing a little bit of colonization resistance and maybe, you know, allowing the good bugs to, to proliferate. And then, you know, for others, it's a deal breaker. It's an immediate deal breaker. 
And so it's, 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 you know, it's not one, it would be so much easier if there were, you know, just one organism that was at the heart of every small intestinal microbial overgrowth. But the fact of the matter is, it's just not, it's not that. And, um, and therefore, there's variation in the appropriate approach. Right. Uh, and we have, we have, uh, we have the ability to kind of freak people out as far as clinicians who are maybe, you know, they know they have patients with SIBO or, or Crohn's and they want to help them and elemental diet keeps coming up in their searches and in their conversations with their colleagues. And so we've just made it really complicated, right? We've taken it to the like nth degree is like how complicated it can be. This does still require medical supervision, but the reality is, is that most of the time, at least in the clinical research, they just put the people on the elemental diet based on their caloric need and gave it to them for two weeks and said, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, you know, give us a call and we'll talk to you or talk you through it. But they didn't do all these like nits and gnats. They didn't add in extra stuff. They didn't change the dilution factor and all that sort of stuff. So I, I want people to hear that it can be easy. It can be, it can get complicated in a hurry, but we shouldn't be scared about using that tool. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. That's a great point. You know, go back to the research, keep it super, super simple. Um, you know, chances are you're going to help your patient. Yeah. And then by the same token, the flip side of that coin is that there are some incredibly complex protocols. I do have see some of my colleagues starting people on many, 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 many different interventions and it's pretty, and it's exhaustive. A lot of SIBO in my experience is still pretty responsive to old school interventions, um, including the elemental, you know, as a standalone. I, I wanted to bring up biofilm and just get your take on that. Speaking of very complex protocols um, and addressing biofilm, are you thinking about that in your practice and, and, and using some of the so-called biofilm busters out there? Um, so we do, but not maybe in the way that a lot of people do. The, the ingredient, the single ingredient that seems to have the most evidence for it, and I know there's more complicated approaches to it, but N-acetylcysteine, just plain old NAC, which I love and adore uh -huh. and use oftentimes for a lot of different uh, indications, is something that we add into um, a, a potential recalcitrant case. So if somebody's having trouble, maybe they've already done an elemental diet or they've just, they haven't gotten the progress that they wanted, I'll add in uh, N-acetylcysteine to almost bowel tolerance, which um, it can be anywhere between, I don't know, 1.6 uh, or 1 point, excuse me, 1.8 grams um, a day. And it can go up to maybe like five grams or so of NAC. That's a lot, by the way, uh, just that's not a starting dose, but we've titrated people up to that. And bowel tolerance, by the way, is when you start having that hydrogen sulfide type flatulence. If you're farting, you know, rotten eggs, then you've probably taken too much. So um, there is NAC in elemental diet um so it's in that regard but to really work with biofilms i think you need to be more aggressive and um as you well know there's there's things out there that probably work better than nac but aren't maybe as time tested right right nope i think nac is a great super affordable generally really well tolerated intervention and it is potently mucolytic and so it stands to reason that it would be a nice biofilm buster. Um, 
all right, what else do we have? Histamine. So histamine, we can see in certain cases of, of SIBO that, you know, diamine oxidase is probably not being produced in adequate quantity. And there's a whole new group of foods people can be reactive to if histamine's kicking or if the bugs producing histamine and you know, they're consuming histamine foods are around. Actually, I should say the bugs inhibiting histamine metabolism are around. Um, anyway, histamine, what are you thinking about? I'm thinking about histamine all the time <laughs> because uh, there's, there's just like there's overlap between CFO and SIBO, yes. there's overlap between um, like mast cell uh, activation syndrome and, uh, and SIBO. And sometimes they, they're diagnosed with one, but but have both. Um, and so it's, it gets complicated relatively quickly. And I rely on smarter people than me to, uh, to help me through this. I know Heidi Turner is a, a dietitian that she works a lot with this. Um, Dr. Elena Guggenheim is uh, another one uh, that I'm a big fan of that works a lot with this kind of work in sort of more rheumatologic conditions. And uh, of course, the, the research on eosinophilic, eosinophilic esophagitis suggests that there's some mast cell stabilization benefit to elemental diet. Um, the challenge and what if you read the label really closely of an elemental diet, to be complete, it contains the amino acid histidine. And histidine uh, gets converted in a pretty simple step to histamine. Uh, so some people get nervous about using elemental diet in histamine situations. But I would pause on that and say, don't get too nervous too quickly because we're really dealing more with mast cell degranulation and the endogenous production. You're making a lot more histamine even when you're not reacting to things than you would be by ingesting um, a little bit of histidine. So it is a pause for some people, but I don't think it's a, a necessary pause when in fact there's human clinical research to show the contrary and clinical use. To show the well, I mean, it's essential amino acid. You wouldn't be able to sustain an elemental diet without it. You know, you would start to break down muscle, et cetera, to liberate histidine elsewhere. I mean, you can't make a intact, successful elemental diet and skip histidine. Period. That's the that's the rub. That's the difficulty <laughs> in making products like this. But uh, anyway, it's it's a reality, and and clinicians pick up on it, and uh, you know our our patients are smart, and they can read, and they can read on the uh, various different sources. So um, that's where uh, that's where this topic comes up. The reality is is that if somebody has a known uh, histamine issue, I'm typically trying to do some mast cell stabilization in advance. Yes anyway. Um, yes. I've probably been doing that for a while or they've been doing it on their own for a while. So uh, it's it's fine to continue on just like the principle, right? If you need something, stay with it during this process. Well, and you're pulling them, I mean, you've put them on the ultimate hypoallergenic, you know, enteric formula. So you're removing from them, you know, by and large, the myriad exposure sources that were triggering production of histamine. So you're going a long way by putting them on the diet. Totally. Um, yeah, okay, I got it. So no histidine is, is, should not be, the, the amount of histidine present in the elemental really shouldn't be an issue for concern. And just increased, yeah. It, increased production of histamine via histidine is 
far less of an issue than coming from the underlying cause of the increased histamine. And you're going to be reducing that considerably by using the elemental diet. It's very helpful. It's very helpful in, 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 in folks with allergic disease um, and other histamine, you know, associated intolerances. Um, there's, there are clear instructions on how to mix the elemental diet and we base it on, you know, caloric need. Would you change that dilution rate or would you change how you're mixing it and, uh, for any reason, um, such as one develops constipation or um, diarrhea? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the range of dilution and explains that for every scoop of this elemental diet, you're going to add anywhere between four and eight ounces of water. And so that's a pretty big range, to be honest. Um, we have done osmolality testing. So that's just sort of, you know, how much solute is, is available per unit of water. Um, that is, uh, the osmolality is perfect. And so the dilution is perfect, in our opinion, at about the six ounce mark. But because clinicians have different needs and patients have different needs, we opened up that range to say four ounces to eight ounces. Now, if you're, um, when you make it more concentrated, you also change the, the, the taste of it. The more concentrated is the sweeter it'll feel and, and be. Uh, you'll change the way it feels in the mouth. So there's a different mouth feel with that um, lower dilution rate. And then you'll also have um, the opposite effect happens at the higher dilution rate at eight ounces per scoop where you have, uh, it's not very sweet. Maybe if somebody's coming off a ketogenic diet and moving on to elemental diet, that's a smarter way to go because there's definitely like a neurologic response when your body in, you know, has that sweet taste. So there's, um, those are two places of that. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned about the, the macromotility, right? If you're constipated or, or diarrhea, um, we've run into cases where people have hyper diluted the product and they have loose stool. Like it's just, and essentially what's happening is that that is not concentrated enough to absorb the nutrients. You mentioned it earlier. This is passive uh, absorption. We have to, it has to be concentrated enough in the lumen of the gastrointestinal tract to actually, osm you know, using osmosis, push the nutrients into the bloodstream. And if that's not there, um, it's going to run right through you. And so essentially that's what's happening is people can have uh, loose stools that's really just didn't interact with the inside of the person. So, wow. Isn't that interesting? So you're losing all your nutrient content there. Yeah. You just, it's just dropping right through. And then, and then the more concentrated is usually the issue that we deal with more medically. Um, because if you have too high, uh, of osmolality or if it's too concentrated, then you can deal with cramping. And so there, if there's GI cramping, then that's something that uh, you're probably on the on the high side of that. With that range of four ounces to eight ounces, um, you can you can deviate from that uh, depending on how the doctor wants to do it. Uh, sometimes you maybe want maybe it's easier to do something that's less sweet in the morning and maybe kind of more sweet through the rest of the day. But if we keep in mind that six ounces per scoop is right. Um, it's sort of the ideal. That's a better thing to do rather than just doing everything at four, or everything at eight. Okay. Okay. And then if bowel habits change in either direction, flag that 
that you need to adjust the formula and, yeah. and, and you're not absorbing appropriately, which will compromise obviously the integrity of the diet. Yeah. Maybe yellow flag. If you go, if you lean more towards uh, less frequent stool or less frequent bowel movements, I'm not as worried about it, but having, you know, robust diarrhea, that's, we're losing, um, we're losing electrolytes. We're losing nutrients that we can't really afford to mm -hmm. lose. So I'm most concerned about that. But the reality is that in a hospital situation, when somebody has, if they're using an enteral formula and it's, they get diarrhea, we move them to an elemental diet. Like elemental diet is sort of like the fix for mm -hmm. loose stools. And so you shouldn't be having that. But if you're not having bowel movements or regular bowel movements, this is the one time where I'm kind of okay with that. Yes. You're just absorbing everything. There's nothing really to come out. So right. no fiber. So it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we see in our practice as well. Um, so how do we avoid flavor fatigue? Oh, there's a bunch of fun stuff to do. And it, it's, uh, I, I recommend that people sort of harness their inner creative uh, person to do this. Uh, I think some of the great ways to consume elemental diet and not be so, so sick of consuming the same liquid diet over and over again for days on end or weeks on end is to um, start playing around with things like carbonated water. Um, we had a, a patient who uh, had one of those machines called a soda stream. And so it was like a carbonator yes. mm -hmm. and, uh, and they carbonated their elemental diet. They love LaCroix water. And so they're like, well, can I have LaCroix water? Yeah, you can have LaCroix water. So they started to add LaCroix water into the elemental diet. And that was, that seemed to go fine, but they really loved it when they um, use their soda stream uh, machine wow. to bubble it up. That's fine to do. Um, some people will say, you know what, I, I don't mind the taste of it or the feel of it in my mouth, but I just can't smell it anymore. And so sometimes a straw is useful for that, you know, make sure that the cover is on. So you just don't have to smell the same thing. It doesn't smell bad. I don't want to give that impression, but it's just the same thing over and over again. It's like if you ate your favorite food every meal, you know, four to six times a day for two weeks, like you just don't want to do it anymore. So flavor fatigue is a very real thing. Um, there aren't other flavors right now for elemental diet um, that we're producing. So this is it. And with that said, you kind of have to be creative um, about it. Okay. I like that idea using the soda stream. That's really cool. That's clever. Clever patient. Um, straw. Yep. Makes sense. I guess you could make like little elemental cubes, frozen cubes. Yeah. Uh, so ice is one way that people get around that. They, the, the key here though, is to make sure that you actually mix it up and then add in like ice chips. Ice chips seems to be the best or like some places have those like little, those small tiny cubes of ice that seems to be the most popular um, to kind of change the texture of it. Uh, that seems to, um, that works really well, but you don't want to put the ice in and then try to mix it because it gets weird fast. <laughs> yep. Okay. Got it. All right. Um, let me see. If you're using half elemental, how, is there any kind of like, how do you structure that out with meals? Okay. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm an intermittent fasting fan when it's reasonable and uh, makes some sense. And so this isn't totally fasting, right? Cause there's calories and the body does, but it, it's way less work. It is bowel rest. And so you can really harness the, the idea of intermittent fasting by taking the foods that you 
eat, the foods that you chew, and keeping them in a, a window, just like you would with intermittent fasting. And then the rest of the time or your fasting time, um, you would be able to either fast or have elemental diet. So I like to kind of cram them, cram those foods together. But some interesting questions have come up about this. And it's like, well, how long, like, what if I'm in the transition between elemental diet and, and food I chew, um, or whole foods? Um, how long do I have to wait? And there's no science to this. This is all just uh, shooting from the hip ideas that clinicians have had. The reality is, is that you want to be able to digest the elemental diet um, before throwing in some whole proteins into the into the mix because yes. that makes good sense, right? That's the mm -hmm. design of it. So usually if you wait an hour or so prior, like after an elemental diet, and then we'd recommend maybe two hours after a whole food meal to consume elemental diet because it just takes longer, right? Two hours. I think some patients who have maybe slow gastric emptying, maybe sometimes like four hours to really get that stuff, uh, get that bolus of food moving. So um, anyway, two hours, though, is a general rule of thumb after a whole food meal to start elemental diet again. Okay, got it. And people, I would imagine, are pinged on how they feel, right? They can kind of tell if food's still moving through. They know if they've got slow digestion, and they're going to be able to just kind of clue into how they're feeling. Most people do. Some people don't. Um, and this is a whole different conversation for a, a different day. And um, probably more private than public, but the idea of it is uh, macro motility, you know, your bowel habits versus micro motility. Some people have a bowel movement every single day under normal circumstances, but their micro motility is bad. And that means, you know, the, the, the stomach and the small intestine are slow. And so the material that's coming out, their stool is, is days old. Yes. Um, so right. micro motility, macro motility. So what I would say is some people do know that about themselves and some people just don't. Okay. Fair enough. That's, that's, yeah, that's fair enough. And, and folks who were using this on are probably, you know, just as likely not to have some of those cues. Um, transitioning off an elemental diet, any kind of recommendations for doing well, that? This is the third fist fight. Um, because everybody falls into a, a dietary tribe, um, it seems, and a different theory about what to do after an elemental diet. But I'll tell you what sort of what we most of us agree upon. Um, the idea of having high uh, liquid meals, but not all liquid meals, things like soups and broths and um, high water containing foods seems to be a good choice transitioning off elemental diet. That would, what we would do in the hospital, moving somebody off a liquid diet as well. And so that seems to be pretty consistent, but the exact food choices are sort of all across the board. Um, I like to only introduce foods that you are, have well tolerated in the past and not start challenging things. There's other people who other clinicians who just sort of love this opportunity to try to challenge new foods. I think that's kind of a lot to ask of a digestive system, but it's certainly up to, up to them and that relationship uh, um, with their patient about what could happen. We've had people go from elemental diet and they've just gone back to their old way of eating, but there's research that says that's a bad idea. There was a, a pilot trial in rheumatoid arthritis that said, if you, did the elemental diet and you had success with the elemental diet and you went to your old way of eating immediately, okay. your symptoms would return. And so I just caution against that 
but that's really the only caution. Um, in SIBO, some people will use a low FODMAP diet or they'll use the fast track diet or they'll use um, the, the gazebo food guide. Allison has that on her, uh, on her website. And uh, Cedar sinai Hospital has a version of their uh, SIBO diet as well. If you're not using it for SIBO and you're using it for Crohn's or ulcerative colitis or something else, then it really goes back to what does the person tolerate well, what do they like, and uh, how can they move forward with it. The, the most difficult thing is to kind of re-engage their bowel system, right, and start to have bowel movements and things. And, but you can't throw in a ton of fiber and you can't throw in a ton of these things that might increase those, that bowel um, motility. So um, be patient with yourself. If you're a patient listening to this or a client listening to this, um, this, is a, this is probably the hardest part of it is transitioning off it. But um, things come around, things change for the better, and uh, the body takes a while to return to homeostasis. Okay, perfect. Really, really helpful. I'm actually sitting here taking a lot of notes as you're talking. Um, all right. Do I have any last questions for you? I've got one. Just this is this is definitely tangential, but you alluded a little bit. Well, actually, you alluded to us not being able to test for small intestinal fungal overgrowth. Um, I just wanted to ask you about labs. I mean, labs is a perennial hot. It's a fist fight. It's definitely a fist fight, but I, so I just, I wanted to get your opinion on using breath test on any other, on any other biomarkers you might be using. Are you using for follow, breath test for, you know, um, after treatment uh, to confirm resolution? I mean, what do you, what are you doing in the lab world? If you can give me a little bit of a thumbnail, that would be great. Yeah. I, I always like patient preferences to whether we should test or not because tests don't make you better. They just uh, guide the treatment. And so some people don't want to use the funds on that sort of thing. This is an investment though, typically in time and money. Um, and so most people are willing to spend the extra, however much it costs for the lab tests. The lab that I use is uh, less than $200. And so I, I recommend in most cases that we do at least an initial test. Um, I don't insist upon it, but I do often recommend it. And then um, follow-up testing I think is commonly used, but I, again, I don't insist upon it. Um, I, we don't have a, a machine, a Quintron machine or those sorts of uh, devices in our office, so we have to send out for it. So we can't replicate what the old studies did where they would test at the two-week mark and then decide what to do next. Um, so we go based on symptoms. I call it the day nine effect. At day nine, let's make a choice about if you're going to go for a third week or more, or if we're good. If symptoms have decreased and you feel good at day nine, that's probably going to continue on to day 14. So let's just plan on being done after the two weeks. Um, so there's a little bit of a, a push and pull that I have with clients and say, what do you want to do? What do you think? Um, I try to give them as much information I can on costs and what information we're going to do. In full disclosure, I like the Quintron technology. Uh, there's you can, uh, clinicians sometimes buy the Quintron machine and have it in their office. We have a local um, office that does do that. Um, we also have, we also send out Aerodiagnostics is a great company out of uh, Massachusetts that does a lot of uh, testing for that. And they're really great with our customers, with our clients, their customers. So uh, those, that tends to be who I use if I'm going to name names. Um, and I typically will use, and I'm going to get, um, uh, 
an a evil eye from some people on this one. I like starting with glucose testing. I know there's glucose and there's lactulose testing, um, but glucose is super sensitive to proximal SIBO. And so I really want to know if they have this proximal SIBO and glucose uh, challenge substrate does a good job of telling us that. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, listen, we've covered so many pearls. Uh, very, very helpful for refining how we're approaching using the elemental. Anything else that you just want to throw out? Again, I, I know you're you're on the streets <laughs> with yeah. this really more than I think anybody that we have coming on this show. So, any anything to anything to add in closing? I'll reiterate this till my lungs are uh, sore and my throat doesn't work anymore. Is that the elemental diet? should be consumed slowly ah, <laughs> like good. if i could if i could just say one thing it is that most people especially new to this sort of underestimate the fact that because they look at the ingredients they look pretty simple and you know they've done shakes before and so they yes. they dump some powder into a blender bottle and they put some water in they shake it up and they drink Suck it as it fast as they can yeah right um it's the and, american and, way that yeah and that just like causes so many problems for um for the patient themselves for the clinician who has to answer and figure out what's going on and frankly for me to some degree uh to help troubleshoot what's <laughs> going on and so the first question i always ask so don't be mad if people call me and ask me about uh what to do i always ask how fast are they consuming it and how much are they consuming at a time um, a lot of people do better with smaller amounts and consume it over the course of, you know, 45 to 60 minutes versus four scoops and drinking it within 10 seconds. Mm. And what's going to happen when you suck down four scoops in 10 seconds? Well, four scoops in 10 seconds is 44 grams of, uh, of glucose, oh. of dextrose, uh, you know, shot straight into your digestive system and thus your bloodstream very quickly. So there's usually a hyperglycemic, hypoglycemic response. Um, and that it's designed as a high glycemic product, right? It's high glycemic, mm -hmm. so it's best absorbed. Um, so we know that about it. So let's use the tool the right way. That is so interesting. Yeah, and all of that, the concentrate, the concentrate of nutrients in addition to the glucose too. I mean, God, just, yep. the, th just the thought of sucking it back that quickly sort of gives me a little bit of a stomach ache. <laughs> um, as, as always, Corey, it's been really wonderful to connect with you, and I just appreciate so much you coming back and offering all these pearls to our listeners. Um, and we'll definitely have you again, you know, as you guys evolve and learn more. And I mean, already, with the, I mean, our first conversation was great. It was just the nuts and the bolts of the, of the intervention. And you, I can just see how you guys are nuancing and, and evolving and understanding. And, you know, as a result of all of this, patient outcomes improve. I mean, that's the bottom line. I think we're, we have the capacity to deliver better care now. So thank you. Thanks to Integrative Therapeutics for coming up with this really cool and useful formula yeah it's been it's been a great trip for us really appreciate your support of us and uh just thank you uh this is a a, a place where we feel comfortable now going into um this type of uh, medical food was uh was very scary for us um but now that we're comfortable we can do some some new and nuanced things with it i think perfect all right on that note we will 
close. And again, folks, just look in the show notes for um, links to my previous podcast with Dr. Schiller and all of the various citations.